That song from, of course, Psalm 23 reminds us of incredible gift of our shepherd. And that is the gift of peace. The gift of peace. And that is peace in every dimension. Every possible dimension. And this morning, I want us to take a few minutes to think about one particular dimension of the Lord's peace that he grants to his children who have faith in him. And I want us to do this as we conclude this series of messages from Matthew chapter 6, if you'd turn there with me now. And our focus is on generous living as disciples. Generous living as disciples. And of course, I think you can see that acrostic spells glad. Generous living as disciples. And we're taking this time to listen to Jesus as he talks about generosity and joy. Generosity and joy. And yes, I want you to know those two do go together. (laughs) Generosity and joy. They are inseparable. Now, two weeks ago, Joe spoke from this passage on the subject of the king on kingdom investing, where we are challenged to hoard up treasures in heaven and not hoard them up here on earth, where they will certainly vanish and we will definitely leave them behind, right? But to lay up true treasures that are secure and safe forever in heaven and are ours forever. Last week I shared with you from verses 22 through 24 on the thought of the master on master control. What the master has to say about master control. We talked about the king on kingdom investing. Last week the master on master control when he told us that no one can serve two masters. Either you will love the one and despise the other, hold to the one, despise the other, but he says you cannot serve God and money. And Jesus gave us some strong warnings about materialism. And we noted these three things, that materialism binds our hearts. Materialism, when we are focused on possessions, those possessions begin to possess us. And they're like spiritual gravity that keep us tied to the earth rather than living in the light of eternity. Materialism binds our hearts. Materialism blinds our vision. We cannot see things as they really are. We are not able to see the value of life. And we're not able to see the value of others as they really are. And then we saw ultimately that materialism, living for things with our focus on stuff, our possessions, is really going to betray our master because we cannot live for things. We cannot live for possessions. We cannot live for money and live for our master. It cannot be done. Jesus didn't say it would be difficult. He said it is impossible. You must choose. You can live to pursue things, or you can live to pursue Jesus Christ, but you cannot 
pursue both. You must make your choice. Materialism always fails. This is what is so sad about folks, especially Christians, who get wrapped up in living pursuit of things. It is guaranteed failure. Because there is one thing that material possessions cannot provide. And that is peace, my friend. Money, possessions, things cannot provide peace. There's nothing wrong with having the things that God graciously gives us. And He is no cosmic killjoy, is He? He is a generous God. And He gives us all things richly to enjoy. But He does not want us to be enslaved by things that we think that we enjoy. And material positions can never bring us peace. And the reason is, my friends, you see, peace is priceless. And the reason peace is priceless is this, brothers and sisters. Because peace is free. (laughs) It is free. It is a free gift from the Lord. And so this morning, I want us to understand that financial peace is free. And it's not based on an amount of money. It is something far surpassing any treasure that could be on this earth. It is a treasure that lasts forever. Peace. And so this morning, I want us to think for a few moments about what Jesus has to say as the Prince of Peace on financial peace. The Prince of Peace on financial peace. Now notice how we're looking at this passage. It's from our Lord. He's the King, and He's talked about kingdom investing. And He is the Master, and He has talked about materialism, but being a master controlled. But you know what we're getting ready to celebrate here in Advent? He is the Prince of Peace, right? And that means all peace. And he is the prince of financial peace. Now I want us to listen to what the prince has to say about financial peace this morning. Now, the opposite of peace is what? It is fear. The opposite of peace is fear. And the prince of peace, our prince of peace, does not want us ruled by fear. The Bible says God has not given us a spirit of what? Fear. But He has given us a spirit of power, of love, of a healthy mind. These are gifts from the Lord. The Lord doesn't want you ruled by fear and worry. He wants you to be ruled in your heart by the greatest of all powers and influences. And that is Now, the prince here issues a firm but loving warning as he talks about financial peace. And notice, here's the first thing the Lord says to us this morning. He says that we need to beware of fear-focused living. We need to beware of fear-focused living. Look at verse 25. He says, Therefore... I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. 
what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will put on. Is not your life more than food and your body more than clothing? What does the Lord tell us not to be? He tells us not to be anxious. And just to make sure that we get this message, notice verse 25, don't be anxious. Verse 27, why should you be anxious? Verse 28, why are you anxious? Verse 31, do not be anxious. Verse 34, do not be anxious. You know what? I don't think the Lord wants us to be anxious. That seemed to kind of come out from the text. He doesn't want us to be anxious. He warns us. Perhaps, perhaps there's nothing in life that robs Christians more of real life than worry. Worry is a robber. Matter of fact, worry is a double robber. Did you know that? Worry is a double robber because it robs you of your present and it robs you of your future at the same time. And that makes you a two-time loser when you worry. You are a two-time loser because you lose your peace for the present and you lose your faith in the future. That's what worry does. It robs and makes us losers. And God did not save us through Jesus Christ for us to live as losers. He says that we are more than what? conquerors through him who loved us and that here is the victory that overcomes the world even our faith Lord Jesus Christ did not save our souls so that our minds would be controlled by worry and fear now Jesus knows our proneness to worry he knows our proneness so in some of his most kind but most firm words in this passage I want you to see that Jesus warns us not to waste our lives on worry if you worry if you live in a life characterized by worry you are wasting your life this is Jesus point Jesus said I have come that you might have what life and he did not say, I've come that you might have life and a worry-filled life. <laughs> no. He said, I've come that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. Jesus doesn't want us to waste our lives in worry. So what is the answer then if he is warning us about fear-focused lives? What is the answer to fear-focused living? Here's the answer. It is father-focused thinking. <laughs> the answer to fear-focused living is to have a father-focused thinking. And verses 26 through verse 31, that's what Jesus talks about. Do not have a worry-fear-focused living. Have a father-focused Thinking, And so Jesus shares this. Beginning in verse 26, he gives us a living illustration. 
And then he asks loving questions. This is what he's going to do. He's going to give living illustrations. And he's then going to ask us some loving questions. So notice, first of all, Jesus gives this living illustration of why we should not live worry-dominated lives. In verse 26, where does he look? He looks up or looks around and says this, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Are you of not more value than they? Now when Jesus calls us to a peaceful life, let's make sure we understand he doesn't call us to a lazy life. Because birds are certainly not lazy. They're not lazy. But birds are not stressed out. And birds are not taking sedatives to make it through the day. And birds don't go to bird therapy, okay? It's just not happening. I love this little poem I came across once. It's, it's anonymous, and I don't know who anonymous is, but some of the best stuff you ever read is from anonymous. It's just awesome. Can't wait to meet Anonymous. And here's what Anonymous wrote about this passage. Said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, Friend, I think it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. You see, the point Jesus is making here is we do have a heavenly father. We do have a heavenly father. And so if that's the living illustration, he just says, look at the birds, how they don't work themselves to death and store up everything and God takes care of them, then his question comes this. Jesus applies the application with a question. Verse 26, he says, Are you not of more value than they? Are you not of more value than they? Now let me just say in passing, this is Jesus' answer to the New Age, pantheistic, pagan thought. That all life on earth is equal in value. Animals are not equal to human beings. Human beings are made in the image of God. Now I'm just reading the Bible. You take it up with Jesus, alright? He says, you are more valuable than sparrows. And if here's the absolute logic of what Jesus is saying. If you are more valuable than sparrows, and if God, the Heavenly Father, provides for the sparrows, will He not provide for you? 
See, he's reasoning from the smaller to the greater. God does care for the sparrows. He's concerned for the sparrows. And he takes care of them. But they're not made in his image. He did not breathe into them the breath of life. They are not eternal souls for whom Jesus died. And if the Lord takes care of sparrows, will he not take care of his children? What kind of father would he be? When it comes to worry, you know what we need to be? Bird watchers. We need to be bird watchers. You watch the birds. They're not stressed out. You watch the birds. They're active. They're busy. And they're singing as they go about their work. So next time you say someone's (laughs) bird-brained... That's called a pause for a little more laughter, okay? (laughs) Give it up. Be a bird watcher. And be bird-brained. And recognize the Heavenly Father is going to take care of you. Jesus then issues another loving question. Having asked that question, he asked another loving question. The Lord's just relentless. He's just like that. Verse 27, notice. And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Now, some of our Bibles translate that by cubit. How many of you can add another cubit to your life? A cubit was the basic measurement. It was about 18 inches. It was defined as the distance between the average adult man's elbow and his fingertip. That was a cubit. But what we need to make sure is we understand what Jesus is saying here. He is saying, which of us by worry can add another half step to our life span. What is 18 inches? It's about a half step. It's about a half step. older I get, it's getting a little closer to a full step. But (laughs) it's about a half step. And Jesus is saying, by worrying, can you add a half step to the span of your lifetime? The truth is, you cannot. Worry cannot add to your life, but I tell you what, worry can shorten it. Stress is a killer. Worry may change the quantity of your life, but Worry cannot improve the quality of your life. It'll always tear it down. And so again, in asking this question, 
It's a loving question, a firm question. Then Jesus gives a living illustration. He says, let's, let's look at this. Let's think about this. And so he gives a living illustration. Verse 28, notice, he says, And why are you anxious about clothing? Now remember, this is a Sermon on the Mount. He's sitting on a hillside overlooking the Sea of Galilee. And you can just see Jesus as the thousands are gathered around him. He, just with a sweep of his hand, he motions toward the fields around him. And he says, why are you anxious about clothing? Consider these lilies. Consider these wildflowers. That's what the word here means. Consider these wildflowers, how they grow. They do not spin to make their wardrobe. But I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. No one's wardrobe compares to just the flowers of the field. I came across this quote by the great Reformer Martin Luther lived back in the 16th century. Here's what he said in his kind of earthy German way in one of his messages. He said this, it seems, quote, it seems that the flowers stand there and make us blush and become our teachers. Thank you, flowers. Thank you who are soon to be devoured by cows. <laughs> God has exalted you very highly that you become our masters and teachers. Now that's great. Here God takes care of flowers knowing that they're just going to become munchies for the cow. And will God, the Heavenly Father, not take care of His children? Will he not, does he not know that we need clothing to wear? This is Jesus' point. So in verses 30 to 32, notice, Jesus summarizes his message. Listen, he summarizes what he's saying here about worry and father-focused thinking that overcomes fear-focused living. Jesus says this in verse 30. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, that is the people who are outside of the faith, that's what the term Gentiles means in this context. Those who are not of the covenant people of God. People who do not know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They worry after these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Now notice, Jesus bookends... His loving challenge about our worrisome living 
by telling us to focus on the Father. And notice how he bookends his message with two, two terms. Verse 30, God. Then notice verse 32, your heavenly Father. Put those together. God, almighty, eternal, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, changeless, creator of all, heaven and earth, your heavenly Father. Never, never had anyone ever referred to God as Heavenly Father until Jesus. And He told His disciples, He's my Father, and if you have faith in Me, He's your Father too. Someone as well said this. Listen carefully. If you want to understand the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's all wrapped up in one word, Father. Creator God. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Eternal and changeless. Through His Son, Jesus whereby He became incarnate and lived for us and among us and died in our place and rose again. If you have faith in Him, then God is your Father. And you are in a new covenant. You are His child. You are an heir and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. You are adopted into the family. You're, you're not an afterthought. You were thought of eternally. God set His love on you. In eternity past, He determined to make you His own. Even at the cost of His Son. He spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for you. Jesus died for you. And if God would not hold back Jesus for you, my friend, what will He hold back from you? What are we worrying about? What are we consumed with protecting ourselves and providing for ourselves and worrying ourselves to death when a heavenly Father who feeds the cattle with the lilies of the field, when He takes care and feeds the birds and covers the earth in resplendent glory, will He not care for His own children? Do you understand that worry in its essence is to blaspheme God? Is to think that God's not as good as we are? What father, what mother, what grandfather, grandmother in this room or listening to my voice for a moment of time could have such wicked Thoughts about their children and grandchildren to not care for them. So how much more does God care for those of His children who are purchased with the blood of His Son? 
Oh, we got to stop worrying. How do you stop worrying? Well, I'll tell you what. Don't watch the news. <laughs> don't read the paper. Don't search for peace on the internet. You need peace? Don't look in your 401k. Don't look to money. Someone says money talks and someone else said yes, it says mostly to me, bye bye. <laughs> Where are you going to find peace? <laughs> Through Jesus. Having a heavenly father focus. This is my father's world. And I am his and he is mine forever and ever. One other thing and we close that Jesus says that we should be as we are beware, as we beware of this fear-focused living by father-focused thinking, then Jesus says this, don't spend your time worrying about things you can't control don't spend your time worrying about the future. He says, make this your focus. Be devoted to this. Be devoted to kingdom-focused living. See, while we are worrying, we're not living. While we are fearful of the future, we're not faithful in the present. Verse 33, here's what Jesus says. Put your mind on this. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. What are the all these things? Food, clothing, shelter, the basic necessities of life. Those things will be taken care of as you make your focus on seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. What is that? What does that mean? What does it mean? The kingdom of God. It means the rule of God. Make your first focus the rule of God in your life. The rule of the king. What does it mean? Jesus first. That's what it means. The kingdom of God, living out the kingdom of God means that for you, Jesus is first. He's first. He's not an afterthought. He's first. He's not a leftover. He is what makes my life running over with joy. He's my guide through life. And He's my eternal Savior. My King through the ages. My dearest friend, who sticks closer than any brother, Jesus first, first in every area of my life, first in my love, first in my thoughts, first in my priorities, we should be first in our finances. That we honor God 
with the first fruits of all that he gives us, not the leftovers, the first fruits. It's a prioritized life. Verse 33, seeking him first, and then we've got to live a present tense life. Tomorrow's gone. Yesterday's gone. Tomorrow's not here. What's here? Today. <laughs> and friends, some of us are so ingrained this way that today is the tomorrow we worried about yesterday. But Jesus says, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. What's that mean? Just translate it. This is the Polson translation. you got enough on your plate right now. Okay, that's not in the Greek. That's just a little paraphrase there. But that's what I take it to mean. Don't worry about tomorrow. You've got plenty to do right now. Focus on life right now. Oh, we waste our todays by worrying about tomorrow. Once there was a great Bible teacher. His books are still available. He's been with the Lord since 1948. His name was Dr. Harry Ironside. Ironside. For you baby boomers, I'm not talking about the private detective. I'm talking about a Bible teacher named... Harry Ironside, okay? Some of you uh, younger ones, Google it. It doesn't matter, okay? But if you can find books by Harry Ironside, and they're still published, I encourage you to get them. Incredible teacher. He was once president of the Moody College in Chicago, Illinois, founded by Dwight L. Moody. He was pastor of the great Moody Church. One time during the Depression, there was a great financial need that Moody College was facing. And Dr. Ironside, who was a great man of faith, but he was human, he, he called together the board and began telling them the struggles and what had to happen and, and how they needed so much money. And, and finally, one of the board members said, well, Harry, when do we need this money? And Dr. Ironside said, we got to have it Friday. Friday, we got to have it. This got to be here Friday. And the board member quietly said, Harry, it's not Friday yet. <laughs> and ever since I've, I read that statement, years and years and years ago, it's just become a little statement in our house, especially between me and Susan. It's not Friday yet. Sam, it's not Friday yet. Stop worrying about Friday. Think a little bit more about that sermon coming up. <laughs> it's not Friday yet. Some of you are worrying about something that's got to be done this week. You know what? Because you're worried about what's going on this week, you haven't engaged your mind here on Sunday morning. You see, thinking about Friday, thinking about what might be ahead, we miss what the Lord has for us right now. We've got to live one day 
next day, next day, and next day. And it's just like walking. You put one day after another and after another, and guess what you have? A lifetime. But you live it one day at a time. I wrapped all up these three messages. I just wrapped up in these things that I'd like to... I'm just going to read through them, I promise you. Because I thought, how, how could I wrap this up so that we maybe just could remember what the Lord is saying? And so here's what I call this. It's for my own life. How to master charge our lives to financial freedom. <laughs> how to master charge our lives to financial freedom. You say, well, no, those don't go together. <laughs> Master charge and financial freedom doesn't go together. Depends on who the master is. Master charge our lives to financial peace and freedom. How do we do it? Number one, recognize God's ownership. Recognize. Recognize God's ownership. He owns it all. It's all His. Number two, review our practices. Review our practices. What are we doing with God's possessions? He is owner. We are managers. We need to think about how we're doing that. We need to review how we are handling God's resources. Number three, if necessary, repent. Repent of our selfishness. And selfishness doesn't mean that you've possessed it, but it possesses you. We've got to repent of this and ask the Lord's forgiveness for being mastered by something other than Him. Number four, then we can realign our priorities and our, our priorities and our finances. Not that we don't have many things that we need to take care of, but our priorities are first God and then others. Generosity in our offerings to God. Generosity in our helping others. Number five, we release His resources. You, you can't hold on if it's all God's and you're gripping it as if it's your own. Something's wrong with that. So guess what? You've got to say, Lord, help me to release your resources. Freely I have received. Freely I will give. And when you release your resources, guess what, friends? Your hands are open to receive. It's in releasing that you can receive. And then, here comes the greatest icing on the cake, cherry on top. You can rejoice in His provision. When God provides for your needs, you see that He is a generous God and that as you freely give, He will give. And as you sow, you reap. Then you rejoice and you experience God in a way you haven't experienced Him before. You get to watch God work. And boy, what a kick that is. Watch God work. <laughs> when you can look back and say, how'd that happen? Any of you as parents, grandparents, do you ever read some material on what it costs to raise a child? You know what? It's impossible. Why, well, you can't even afford to feed a teenager. 
It's impossible. But guess what? God provides. And they're not hardships, they're treasures. You give your life for them. Your joy to invest in them. Why? Because you love them. Even as a sinful old dad or mom, you love them. Think about perfect Heavenly Father. You see, He gets a joy out of being generous. And by giving, we are allowed to get in on what God is up to. Generosity lets you get in on what God is up to. Watch Him work. And He will make you glad. He will make you glad.